Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Jim Nail. I'm a member of the Medfield Energy Committee and I will be your host and MC tonight for the program. I'm really glad that you've joined us for this discussion about heat pumps and the Mass Save program. Um, we do hope this will be a discussion. We've designed the program, so there'll be lots of time for your questions after some short presentations. Um, first about heat pumps by Bob Zog of the Heat Smart Alliance, and then of the Mass Save program by Brian Kearney of Rise Engineering. Um, I'll have more to say about their backgrounds a little bit later as we get into that part of the program. Um, but I also want to acknowledge uh, the organizations that helped put all this on, uh, the Medfield Energy Committee, uh, Medfield Environment Action, and Sustainable Medfield. Um, the Medfield Energy Committee, um, which there's a uh, link there to the website on the town website if, if you don't know about our work. Um, we are chartered by the select board to advise the town on uh, matters about energy. So we do things like administer green community grants and various activities around that. Um, we've been helping advise the town on solar installations around town on various municipal properties. Uh, for years, uh, we've, we've been around about 14 years, we've worked on energy efficiency in various uh, town buildings. Uh, we're currently working on the Medfield Community Energy Program, which you may have heard a bit about and we'll no doubt hear more about in the near future. Um, and the Medfield State Hospital Redevelopment Program, we're looking to make sure that that development is uh, very sustainable. Um, but the big thing we're working on right now is our climate action plan. Uh, and maybe some of you uh, tuned in in January when we gave a quick preview of some of the highlights of that plan. We're continuing to flesh that out. And again, there will be more information coming out and we're hoping to have that um, at town meeting um, this year. Um, if you're interested in what we're doing, my colleague here, Hilly Passas, um, would be love to hear from you and tell you about some of the opportunities to, to get more involved. Um, but we also partner regularly with uh, both Medfield Environment Action and Sustainable Medfield. Um, two similar organizations with slightly different missions, the Medfield Environment Action um, is a grassroots organization of residents uh, building a movement of informed citizens to support measures by our town and state governments that will positively impact the environment um, and also help it reduce energy consumption and evolve our energy use to more sustainable and renewable energy sources. Sustainable Medfield, another kind of network of individuals and uh, town groups. Uh, it's actually part of the Medfield Foundation and a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, here's where these community groups and town committees, business groups, religious organizations, all these groups in town meet on a, at least a quarterly basis and share knowledge, share information, encourage each other and inspire action around more sustainable um, ways that Medfield can move into the future. Um, but we're here tonight to talk about, um, and I'm gonna set the stage here with the state goals. Many of you may know about a year ago, the legislature passed and Governor Baker signed into law a uh, next generation climate roadmap that calls for a 50% reduction in carbon emissions by 2030 
and then for the Commonwealth to be net zero by 2050. To put it really simply and probably oversimplify what needs to be done, we need to reduce, produce, electrify, and greenify. So reduce, we need to find ways to be more efficient and use less energy to do what needs to be done. We need to produce more with solar panels, uh, wind turbines and things like that, that is renewable and sustainable. We need to electrify, which is a lot of what we're gonna talk about tonight, particularly in the realm of heating and cooling our homes, get off of natural gas and oil and use electric heat pumps. Um, that again, we'll talk a lot about that. And then greenify, and I don't know if that's even a word, but I'm gonna make it a word. Uh, the whole grid needs to be uh, using renewable, sustainable sources of energy like solar uh, and wind. And the way that that is then expressed in this uh, roadmap to 2050, um, I pulled out a few specific quotes that I think start to set the stage for our discussion tonight. Um, first of all, to successfully decarbonize the Commonwealth must almost completely transition energy away from fossil fuels and deploy higher levels of energy efficiency. And that certainly has a lot of benefits for the climate emergency, um, but don't overlook these benefits in the second paragraph that combining electrification and energy efficiency allows building occupants to benefit from superior thermal comfort, noise reduction, greater resiliency, improved ventilation and indoor air quality. All great things in, on top of the extra dollars that will be in our pockets from doing this. And of course, um, the less uh, severe impacts of climate change. So how do we get there? This next paragraph talks about how this really relies on infrequent opportunities to change out heating, ventilation, and air conditioning equipment. So, you know, uh, uh, at the end of life, 15, 20, 25 years, heat, uh, air conditioning systems, furnaces, boilers, you know, that's just their natural lifespan. They have to be replaced. So we'll talk a lot about how do we go replace those with heat pumps, not just drop in a new you know, gas or oil burning piece of equipment. And so implementing electrification in this context is about heat pump based electrified heating systems in place of those gas and oil furnaces and boilers. The good news is electrific this, this report concluded that electrification of space and water heating is a low risk cost effective strategy for decarbonizing the majority of the Commonwealth's building stock. So a lot of things coming together you know, in this trend and to help us move forward into a lower carbon future. And that applies to Medfield. When we talk about the building stock in Medfield, um, this is the uh, greenhouse gas inventory uh, that Hilly put together that we've shown in a couple of different webinars uh, over the past few months. But you can see the bulk of our uh, greenhouse gas emissions are particularly residential buildings, about 40%, a little bit from commercial and industrial uh, buildings, as well as municipal buildings. But all in all, the building sector you know, in Medfield uh, is about 50 to 53%, something like that. So really important that going forward, we think hard about how we can reduce and electrify energy use in those buildings. And the good news is 
residents in Medfield are already moving in this direction. These heat pumps are popping up all over the place. Uh, I was around town last week looking for them. Here's one at the Montrose School downtown, uh, all of Tilden Village, uh, the senior housing project by the high school. They went totally to heat pumps a, a couple of years ago. Um, I came across this one and I did ask this homeowner permission to use this, but here's an you know, 18th century house. It has a little plaque on it. It's 17 something or another. It was built and yet there they are. They've got heat pumps running that, which I think is particularly cool. Um, and here at my own house uh, is a heat pump. And you might go, a heat pump? That just looks like an air conditioner. That's one of the points that we're gonna make tonight. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Bob Zog, who is one of the founders of uh, the Heat Smart Alliance, which is a volunteer organization that promotes clean heating and cooling systems in Massachusetts communities. Um, he has previously chaired the Carlisle Energy Task Force, um, and he had a 30-year career in energy-related consulting that he retired a few years uh, ago from and is bringing all that expertise now into the Heat Smart Alliance. Um, he's led numerous evaluations of residential and commercial building energy use, focusing on space heating, cooling, hot water heating, and refrigeration. Uh, he's a BS and MS in mechanical engineering, so he really knows his stuff, and uh, lived up in Carlisle for about 10 years now. So Bob, I'm gonna stop sharing, let you share, and take it away and tell us everything we need to know about heat pumps. Great, thank you so much, Jim. Um, bear with me one second, I'll pull up my slides. So I'm getting a note that hostess disabled participant screen sharing. Try to get that resolved here. While we're uh, trying to give me uh, get my permission to show my slides, let me just get started anyway in the interest of time. Uh, let me just introduce briefly the, uh... okay, good, I'm good to go here. Bear with me. There we go. Okay, Heat Smart Alliance um, is, an organization with a mission to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by accelerating the adoption of energy efficient heat pumps throughout Massachusetts. Our app, we consider applications to home heating and cooling, but also water heating. We're an all volunteer organization. We've got over 50 participants from 28 Massachusetts communities, and we are growing. Our approach is to educate through events like this to provide one-on-one -on -one coaching to people who want to consider heat pumps for their homes and businesses. Uh, that's on an as-available basis. And we collaborate with like-minded organizations. And just to keep us from having any conflicts of interest, we do not accept, accept donations or referral fees from any installers or manufacturers. So why should you consider heat pumps for your home? Well, first of all, uh, residential energy use is fully 30% of our total energy use here in New England, and that does not include transportation. And from an emissions standpoint, as Jim just showed, it might be closer to 40%. To break that down, uh, over 60% is for home heating and cooling, about 17% for water heating, and a couple percent for clothes drying. That's about 80% of the energy in our home 
And those are all loads that can be handled by heat pumps. So heat pumps can make a big difference. If you'd like to decarbonize your home, there's three basic steps, and this is similar to what Jim went over. But step number one is weatherize. And Brian will talk quite a bit more about that uh, in terms of the incentives available. But uh, really, this means insulating and air sealing your home to get the heating and cooling loads as low as possible. Then electrify. That simply means replacing everything that's using fossil fuels with high efficient electric equipment. And don't forget to include your automobile with this. Step number three, shift to renewable electricity. Doesn't mean you have to put on solar panels. You can buy renewable electricity through the grid or Medfield is in the process of uh, establishing a uh, community program that will make it very easy for you to buy 100% renewable electricity without making any major changes. So what is a heat pump? We all understand intuitively that heat flows naturally from warm areas to cold areas. But if we want heat to move from a cooler area to a warmer area, we have to use a mechanical device and we have to add energy. And that's what heat pumps do. They're really not a different technology. We use the same basic technology in our refrigerators, our dehumidifiers, and our air conditioners today. Heat pumps are available for home heating and cooling. That means one piece of equipment does both heating and cooling. They're available for water heating and even clothes drying and pool heating. This is a simple illustration to show how the efficiency of a heat pump can be over 100%. In this example, we're taking one unit of energy from the electric grid. And we're using that to pump two units of energy from outdoors. And we get at no cost and no environmental impact. That results in a total of three units of energy going into heater homes and um, we've only put in one unit of, of energy as input, so the efficiency here is about 300%. This can even be higher for certain types of heat pumps. What are the benefits of heat pumps in Massachusetts? First and foremost, modern heat pumps provide superior year-round comfort, both summer and winter. Most heating and cooling equipment runs in an on-off on -off cycle that results in temperature swings, but modern heat pumps run at variable speed, which means they tune right in to just the amount of heating or cooling that your home needs to keep the temperature very consistent, very constant, and it really makes a difference. You have to experience it to really understand it. They offer substantial reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, and we'll talk about that in just a second. They can offer modest energy cost savings compared to fuel oil and significant savings compared to propane or electric baseboard. At current prices, natural gas is still a little cheaper than heat pumps on an energy cost basis. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a later slide. And don't forget they're safer. There's no risk of carbon monoxide poisoning or explosions or anything like that. So let's look at the emissions. Um, this is a chart that shows the annual emissions of a heating system for an example home. This is a 2000 square foot home with typical construction characteristics, not your home, it's just an example. But as you can see, we've, uh, this, is, this analysis is based on best available equipment that you can buy today for all cases. So if you put in a brand new heating system and got high efficiency equipment, 
That's what we have assumed here for all these different heating systems. As you can see, the heat pumps are at the top of the list. They have the least uh, greenhouse gas emissions by a wide margin. And if you procure your electricity from renewable sources, you effectively reduce these emissions to zero with heat pumps. So that's the beauty. There's a lot of different types of heat pumps. We'll just go over those briefly so you can get a sense of where you might uh, want to focus your attention. The first thing we encourage people to do is to look at your existing uh, heating system, especially the distribution system. In other words, how does the heat get around your house? You may have a hydronic system, which means you circulate hot water or steam to baseboards or steam radiators. You may also, in some cases, have radiant floor heating systems. And typically, this uh, hot water is generated by a boiler in your basement. You may also have, uh, instead of hydronic, you may have a forced air system where you have ductwork throughout your home. Typically, you'll have a furnace, perhaps an air conditioner as well, in your basement that provides heating or cooling to the ductwork. And you'll have um, supply and return vents located throughout your home. Obviously, you can have uh, uh, baseboard electric as well, and you might have some hybrid combination of these two, but these are the most common types. But if you have a hydronic distribution system, we suggest starting by looking at what we call a ductless mini-split air source heat pump. These come in a couple uh, different varieties. This particular unit has a single outdoor unit and a single indoor unit that's mounted in a room that you want to heat or cool, and it's connected via refrigerant lines uh, that can run in the walls or run on the exterior of your home. Another variation of this is a what we call a multi-split system, which allows the one outdoor unit to connect to multiple indoor units. So this gives you a little bit more flexibility and can cover a higher part of your home with just one single outdoor unit. With either of these types, the indoor units could be wall-mounted or they could be ceiling recessed, they can be floor-mounted, and they can even use um, short duct runs to circulate air to two adjacent rooms. These systems are completely independent other than the controls from your hydronic system. So you can keep your hydronic heating system for backup or emergencies if you choose. Now, I wanna point out air to water heat pumps because in some cases people really want to use their hydronic system. And this is especially uh, the case if you happen to have radiant floor heating, people really want to use that radiant heating system. And that's where air to water heat pumps come in. They're less common, they're a bit more expensive. Depending on your system, they may require some modifications, but there's something to keep in mind if you really wanna use uh, hydronic heating for your main heat source. So if you have forced air distribution in your home, central air source heat pumps are the place to start. As Jim mentioned, the outdoor unit, it looks a lot like an air conditioner. It's probably mounted on a pedestal just to keep it above the snow line. Uh, there's two basic ways to go about it. You can have a partial electrification option where you have an indoor unit, again, typically in your basement, where you combine a furnace with an indoor coil that allows you to use the fossil fuel furnaces back up to the heat pump on the colder days. Or you can have an all electric option that may have uh, electric resistance elements in it to provide the backup heating. 
If you want to go for the ultimate in energy efficiency and aesthetics, ground source heat pump, also called geothermal heat pump, is the way to go. This particular type of heat pump, it extracts heat from the ground. Typically, boreholes go down into the ground and extract heat. The earth is about 50 degrees Fahrenheit year-round, so it doesn't have to pump the heat from quite as cold a temperature, and it gets very high efficiencies. The indoor unit is a neatly factory packaged system that goes into your basement, and these systems with a little bit of electric backup typically can provide all of your uh, home heating. One caveat here, uh, it's important to talk to professionals and find out uh, if your existing ducting is suitable for a heat pump. It has to be properly sized, uh, insulated, and sealed, and it may be difficult to, to do that in some cases, in which case you might be back at looking at the ductless options we just talked about. So let's not forget about our water heating. There are heat pumps available to heat water. We call them heat pump water heaters or hybrid water heaters. They provide over 60% savings in energy and carbon emissions. They can be very uh, fast paybacks compared to conventional electric, especially with the uh, incentives available. And they can be installed by a plumber. They don't require an HVAC technician in most cases. Now, not all install not all plumbers install heat pump water heaters, but a number of them are beginning to do so. It doesn't require any special skills that any plumber doesn't have. Let's talk a little bit about cost. First, the annual energy costs. As I mentioned, this is, uh, by the way, the same 2,000 square foot home we looked at earlier for emissions. And we're using um, fuel costs and electricity costs from the current winter and current Eversource rates. And uh, we're looking at the annual heating bill you might expect to have with these different fuels and heating sources. As you can see here, based on current energy prices, natural gas edges out the heat pumps a little bit. That doesn't mean that heat pumps are a bad idea if you're using natural gas. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, another thing to keep in mind, these are today's energy costs. Energy costs will vary over the life of your heating and cooling equipment. And so, you know, a year from now, this chart might look quite different. Let's talk a little bit about the financial analysis. I know you all love to do this uh, when you make a big purchase. Be sure when you're looking at the first cost, in other words, the quotes you're getting from installers, that you're not just looking at the cost of the heat pump alone. You want to look at what it would cost compared to the cost of replacing your current equipment with something similar. And you should look at both the cost of heating and cooling equipment. You may find that your conventional equipment is a lot more expensive than you remembered 20 years ago when you put it in. So look at cost differences, not absolutes. Look at the incentives available. You have rebates, you have loans, you have tax credits. We'll get to those in a little bit. And you may want to consider putting uh, some kind of a price premium on your carbon emissions if you're so inclined. You may want to consider the impacts on home resale value. There's mounting evidence that heat pumps do add to resale value. And don't forget the comfort advantages as well that may factor in. And as I just mentioned, we do need to accept the uncertainties about future energy costs so things can change. 
So what's your action plan? What we recommend first and foremost, please do not wait for your current equipment to fail. If your current equipment, heating or cooling equipment is over 15 years old or your water heater is more than seven to 10 years old, it's really time to start thinking seriously about replacement. If you wait for a failure, you're bound to be in an emergency situation where you really don't have the time to evaluate any alternatives, let alone consider weatherizing your home. And you'll end up replacing with fossil fuel equipment and you'll be locked into that fossil fuel equipment for another 15 or 20 years. That's message number one. If, you're in, if you'd like to add air conditioning to your home, but you don't have it now, it's a great opportunity for a heat pump because heat pumps provide energy efficient heating and cooling in one device. And certainly if you're planning a major addition, renovation, or a new home, heat pumps can provide 100% of heating and cooling in those uh, new areas. So how to get started. First, our website, heatsmartalliance.org, has some useful information and links to other sources that we think you'll find helpful. Get a free energy home assessment if you haven't already, and weatherize to the extent practical based on uh, the recommendations you get from that. Try to get help from a community heating coach as available. As I mentioned, the Heat Smart Alliance does provide coaching, but right now demand is a little higher than supply, but we'll do our best to accommodate you. And then go out and start getting quotes. Um, every home is unique. You'll want to talk to at least a couple different installers. You'll learn something different from each one. Um, and do look beyond first cost. Do look beyond the price because the equipment offered, the reputation of the installer are important. This is an investment in your home and you want to uh, look, at the, look at the full package. And that's, that's it for right now. Uh, we'll address questions after the next presentation. Thank right. you. And speaking of questions, I meant to say this earlier, there is a Q&A uh, button on the bottom of your screen if you scroll down there. So feel free to input questions in there uh, or we will have uh, time for live Q&A uh, after our next presentation uh, as well. Um, speaking of our next presentation, Brian Kearney is here from Rise Engineering. Rise Engineering is a lead vendor of the MassSave program. Um, and Brian's been with Rise since about 2011 as Director of Residential Services, responsible for managing the home energy services programs for one to four unit residential buildings in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, uh, and on behalf of the utilities and the other program sponsors of MassSave. Um, he's, a, he, he's a big gun here. He's, he has 120 people reporting to him. Uh, over 90 home performance contractors and independent installation contractors. He's grown the number of uh, uh, home energy services programs rise administers from two to six and more than double the number of customers served to over 28,000 households annually. Uh, he's worked for National Grid uh, um, and Keyspan Energy. So again, another guy with the expertise and the knowledge that we all need here to move forward. So Brian, over to you. That's great. Um, thank you so much, Jim. And thank you, Bob and, and Hilly and Helen, who I had the chance to meet earlier 
Um, last week we did a dry run and um, something that stood out from Bob's presentation um, was the talks about um, planning ahead and getting that information. Um, before we even saw each other's presentations, we all kind of touched upon um, that need to uh, time of time of replacement and thinking ahead. And I saw some of the questions that came over from the group and it seems like um, folks are proactively aware of that. And just knowing what your options are and knowing what's available for MassAve, I, I think is, is hopefully keeping that education in your in your back pocket for when you are ready to make these changes. And fortunately, you know, things are progressing. Massachusetts is um, a, a leader in the nation for energy efficiency. There's a lot of mature um, uh, energy efficiency programs throughout the state. Uh, and we all benefit from that. Um, we all contribute to it, of course, um, as part of your electric bill and your gas bill. Um, but it also um, helps us sort of be a leader in the nation for this activity. Um, and it's a, a great industry that I'm, I'm fortunate to be part of. Um, and in all likelihood, maybe some folks on the uh, participating now are, are somehow uh, intrinsically involved in energy efficiency across the state. And uh, we've all got a lot of work to do. Um, so I will just go ahead and I'm sharing. I've devised here that that's going to happen. So if folks can see my screen, uh, it's a little bit of a different format, um, but I am showing a deck. I'm just it's just in a in a PDF. Uh, can folks see my screen? Okay, great. Um, so here we are, uh, Medfield. I'm a Medfield super fan. Um, I live down the road. You might, uh, if you catch me uh, in town at, at Nosh and Grog or somewhere, please, uh, please say hello. Um, so um, MassSave uh, has um, been evolving their energy efficiency work uh, over plans. Every three years, MassSave uh, goes into a brand new energy efficiency plan. And um, this is the start, 2022, of a very substantial um, programmatic change. Um, if, if folks on the, uh, on the call have participated in the past or had energy audits through the program, um, the offers are always changing and evolving. Um, and the, the, the mission behind energy efficiency is to, um, is to help uh, transform the market. Um, so one of the things early on that I used to be really excited about was LED light bulbs. Uh, and in 2012, um, we were able to replace um, one incandescent light bulb uh, with a $50 uh, LED light bulb. Um, and now uh, 50 light bulbs, uh, LEDs are, are pretty ubiquitous. Um, the program is starting to move away from them. And more and more as the program is looking to decarbonize some of these bigger tactics um, that are out there um, surround e-pumps and electrification. And then we'll get into um, barrier mitigation and some other topics. So I've got a lot to cover here. I'm gonna go quickly and then hopefully we'll have a chance to open it up for some conversations um, after the fact. Um, so again, you know, MassSave is uh, a partnership between uh, program administrators and member utilities. Uh, the Cape Light Compact is a program administrator, um, but all of the utilities work together. Uh, I'm a lead vendor. I work at Rise Engineering. Uh, we've got counterparts at uh, Abode Energy Management or Clear Result, um, and there are home performance contractors as well, a network of contractors that are able to perform this work. Um, we try not to step on each other's toes. Um, and again, there's a lot of work to be done. So um, that's why there's a lot of different pathways to take, um, fortunately, uh, you know, in a way that, that, that meets your needs and, and gets you the answers that you need. So um, we're going to cover mostly residential energy efficiency programs tonight. 
Um, there are other activities if you own a, if you own a business um, or if you work in a large office and you know um, that it might be an energy hog. Uh, typically, MassSave has programs for those as well. Um, there's multifamily activity and and um, what's referred to as income eligible, um, which is served through our local cap agencies, and we can talk about that as well. Um, so this is sort of an overarching um, uh, slide of the. Um, different opportunities, coordinated delivery um, or RCD. This is the, the first um, bucket uh, and it is what um, Jim highlighted and, and, and uh, Bob touched upon in terms of uh, residential uh, homes being such a high demand for our energy use. Um, that's generally the place I, I play is the coordinated delivery activity. Um, retail, uh, HVAC and, act, uh, and appliances. So um, some people don't recognize that if you go to a big box store and you were to purchase a, an LED light bulb in years past, um, those were bought down um, by MassSave, by your local utility or your program administrator. Um, and now things like um, those uh, heat water, excuse me, um, heat pump hot water heaters um, are now bought down at the retail level. Um, and it's just, um, it's a buy down. So um, those discounts are already pre-applied um, and covered by the manufacturer um, and you're purchasing them at a lower, at a lower rate. Um, if you are uh, in the market to um, pull a permit and start construction, um, it's a very exciting time. Um, please consider involving the utility and involving the MassSave program as well. Uh, in terms of what might be available in uh, an Energy Star Homes program, um, which involves a person called the HERS Raider, um, and they help you go above code, um, where a lot of um, heat pumps and, and potentially ground source heat pumps and other technology are probably being pitched um, if you're building a, a high performance home. Um, there are income eligible programs, uh, depending on where you fall out. Uh, for the number of people that live in your home and the amount of, of money that you make. Uh, and then there's a subset of that as well referred to as moderate income, um, which is still administered by um, the lead vendors. Um, but there is a uh, income verification portion and it does afford you a higher level of, of incentives um, based on an income verification of being 60 to 80% above the state median income. Uh, we do uh, run a really popular financing program, a 0% financing program uh, called the, it was traditionally called the heat loan, um, but it does a, a whole host of other things. Um, but uh, we do have a, a really robust 0% financing program. It's set, uh, 25, up to $25,000 and seven years um, at that 0%. And MassSave does a lot of education. We work with schools, um, we work with um, other program entities that um, that do outreach and education from um, bringing in new members of the green workforce uh, out all the way down to um, you know helping school programs uh, um, sell energy efficient products and, and help support their school. Um, so res residential coordinated delivery, why, why we're here tonight, the, the audits. Um, so um, you know as, as Jim and Bob indicated, um, with so much that's changing, uh, so many of the incentive amounts that we'll get into, um, one of the first things that you can do is have a no cost, no obligation home energy assessment. Um, we were running uh, virtual only um, for a period of time during COVID. Um, we did transition back into um, in person if that's preferred, and, and now we can do both. Um, so we, we took a lot of lessons learned uh, out of the pandemic, and we do run um, what we can virtually, um, inspections and things like that. Um, but we also recognize that there's a lot of value and a lot of um, nuance um, in each person's home and attic and spaces. Um, and having that personal touch is something that we still um, strive to do. 
Um, so in the assessment, you know, we always touch upon health and safety. Um, doing no harm uh, is first and foremost. We do a combustion safety test of the heating equipment that's there. Um, we identify areas where we might um, be able to provide an air sealing and insulation recommendation. So we're going to stick our head up in the attic. Um, we're going to want to go um, poke in and crawl spaces and attic, uh, attics, uh, attics, knee walls and other areas like that um, and see what the current levels of insulation are and what we might be able to propose um, through the program. Um, we also um, do what's referred to as is, is instant savings measures. Um, so we'll provide low flow shower heads. Uh, we'll provide a faucet aerator. Um, we'll even do programmable thermostats and for a small customer contribution, install a Wi-Fi thermostat as part of the assessment. Um, so at the end of the assessment, uh, once the auditor has, has completed their task, um, for the most part, unless you're, you're in a high performance home or you're in a rel relatively newer construction home, um, we're likely gonna find hopefully something that we can do or that you're, you're in need of. Why did you call us there? You've got a, a comfort concern. Um, you've got a high bill concern, you know, something, something brought you, uh, brought us together and the auditor is going to focus on that. Um, so they will likely give recommendations for um, how to run air insulation and air sealing opportunities. Um, they'll create a proposal and provide that to you. Um, they'll give you some sort of loose guidance on um, what you have for your existing equipment and what types of equipment you could consider um, based on your uh, existing infrastructure. But as Bob kind of mentioned, um, it, heat pumps open up a whole new world of opportunity um, to provide um, secondary systems um, and combinations of traditional distribution that um, you wouldn't once sort of combine. Um, we have the opportunity to do that now with, with new technology. Um, we will look at sort of appliance upgrades and, and make recommendations or describe what um, rebates are available. Um, MassSave does have a, a refrigerator recycling program. Um, you know, if you have a secondary refridge a refrigerator in your basement that's hardly used, um, you know, considering unplugging that and responsibly recycling it, you know, could save you, um, you know, up to $150 a year just by, by taking out that fridge. Um, window screening. So for, for a number of years, um, you could um, finance a single, a replacement of a single pane window to a double pane, um, and there was not a rebate available. Now going forward in 2022, um, rebates are back for windows. Uh, it's a $75 rebate. Um, and uh, it, um, you're, you're able to finance that as well, but it must be triple pane. So you can go from single to triple pane. Um, and those are, those are really nice windows. Um, but again, um, the savings is value is there to um, uh, allow the program to provide you with that rebate, which was a great change for 2022. So um, current incentive, incentives for weatherization. Um, so you can get 100% off of insulation. Um, we were running a program for a period of time um, during COVID uh, right at the beginning there. Um, and we've moved that back over to our 75% offer, which is still pretty fantastic. Um, but it's, it's not commonly known that we do have a 100% offer uh, if you live in a rental unit. Uh, if you pay your utilities and you have a lease, um, you are eligible to receive the insulation. Your landlord, um, you and your landlord can make that decision and get your insulation uh, at your property done for 100%. Um, the other thing that we mentioned at the top of the, the deck was the uh, moderate income. Uh, it's a pre-screening process um, that does look at your income. Um, and if you are uh, deemed moderate income, we would then go ahead and offer you the weatherization work at 100%. We're going to propose it to you both ways. And as you go through the process, if you do um, recognize that you qualify for that, it just opens you up to a higher tier of incentives. Um, the majority of folks are participating in that 75% off window. 
Um, and it says 81% or more of state median income. Um, so yes, a good portion of the, the customers that we, we serve fall into this. Um, and it is mostly owner occupied and single family buildings. Um, and it's just 75% off for a number of years. It was 75% off up to 2000 or 75% off up to um, 4,000. And we've eliminated the cap um, and air sealing is also um, done at no cost. Um, Bob, you have a, a question? Or is that a, a different Bob? Um, this other Bob. Bob, if you just give me a few minutes, we'll 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 get some some questions um, going. Or if you if it's quick and someone can take you off mute, I I'm not prepared to do that as as uh, I'm not presenting. Um, but but thank you. Um, so and then the the five hundred dollar bonus for weatherization and heat pumps. Um, this is something that is very very new. Um, it is to the point where. Um, we as the lead vendors and the program administrators are still working on the mechanics of uh, how we're going to be um, passing this data. But the, the intent of the offer is uh, for a partial heat pump, um, a partial rebate, um, which is if you're not doing a whole home rebate, um, there is going to be a, a kicker um, if you move forward with weatherization uh, and you put in uh, the heat pumps that qualify for those partial rebates. Um, the program is going to pay out a $500 bonus. Um, and then the comment around set weatherization pricing. So we work with a network of around 100 contractors. Um, and regardless of who is going out to your home, um, the list of measures and the list of offers are all standardized and the price associated with them are also um, set. So um, the offer is pretty incredible. It's 75% off. So you can imagine uh, getting $10,000 worth of work done for $2,500. Um, you know, the, the pricing can vary on certain materials and, and, and practices, um, but for all intents and purposes, um, we don't need to shop around uh, to participate in MassSave because um, the offers and the materials and pricing are all still the same. Uh, one of the things that I think is pretty prevalent in our community, um, in New England in particular, and where we have a lot of older housing stock are what are referred to as pre-weatherization barriers. I'm trying to come up with a better word for barrier because I know a barrier is a physical um, uh, block that I, you're supposed to climb over. Um, and these are, um, these, are, these are things that are preventing you from moving forward. Uh, with weatherization. It's not a danger in your home. Um, there aren't any risks associated with it um, as they sit. Um, but as you're making improvements to your home and you're making changes to your electrical panel and your electrical upgrades, um, you know, if oftentimes if you're adding uh, heat pumps, it requires a higher amperage of, of, uh, of electricity. Um, and you may come across some of these things that you have to make improvements on before you can move forward. Um, so things like knob and tube wiring, uh, often present in homes um, built before 1940, say, um, asbestos, uh, which uh, can be found in what's referred to as vermiculite, uh, which is a, a, a rock. It was a, a ground up rock um, that had traces of asbestos in it, um, and it was used as an insulating material. Um, that's something that we look for at the time of the assessment, and we, um, we would encourage you and provide you with pathways to get that mitigated. Um, improperly vented heating equipment, again, from doing the health and safety check, um, you might have to adjust the pitch of your flue um, or uh, get a clean and tune or something like that um, to make sure that if we're going to tighten the home and make adjustments to it, um, everything is working optimally. Um, so that, that barrier, uh, excuse me, moderate income uh, protocols that we talked about, the moderate income uh, incentives, 
um, will be evolving um, to provide a incentive um, of up to $7,000 uh, to help you overcome those barriers. And those payments are gonna be uh, made in conjunction um, with doing the work up front. Uh, the previous iteration of the plan uh, had us um, providing those dollars after the fact. Um, and you can imagine the challenge uh, of providing that money up front only to wait a number of weeks or months to get paid back. Um, everyone in the program has access to a $250 barrier mitigation, um, uh, pre-weatherization barrier sort of uh, form. Um, so if you need a clean and tune, if you need your flu repitched, uh, if you need a knob and tube inspection, all of these are reimbursed um, by the program, whether you move forward with the work or not, um, for up to $250. So um, modern income incentives, uh, again, this is a brand new um, process. Um, we've had a modern income program for a number of years, uh, but the method to engage in the program and apply uh, is changing. Um, and then the offers themselves are expanding um, to include a lot of um, uh, access to barrier mitigation uh, dollars, and then as well, enhanced incentives for heat pumps. Um, so the income verification will be done at no cost. Um, you do have access to that barrier mitigation dollars. Um, and then these uh, will be available in May. Um, this slide deck is so fresh. Um, that some of these things are our future state. So um, I, we appreciate, I think MassSave appreciates the patience. We understand a lot of enthusiasm and excitement around getting uh, a lot of these going. Um, and we're, we're working um, to make sure everything is happening as smoothly as possible as all these really big dramatic changes roll out. Um, so the income qualifications, I thought this was an important slide just to, to, to put up for, for visualization. Um, it has the number of people in your household, and then the uh, less than symbol for um, income eligible. And then if it moves above that amount um, between those two ranges, um, that's where you would fall out and apply for moderate income. And again, it, it, it opens you up to a lot of the same benefits that are provided through income eligible um, and a lot of the benefits through the market rate program. It's sort of a, a great bridge um, to, to blend all of the program offerings and make sure that there's something for, for everyone. Um, so income eligible incentives, typically um, you are going to know if you're on a discounted rate code, but if you don't, um, you can call, um, you can call your program administrator, you can call Eversource um, and, uh, you know, ask them what rate you're on and they might ask a few qualifying questions if you think you want to get on a discount rate and you qualify. Um, it does provide you with a, um, a significant discount in the cost of your, uh, the delivery of your, your fuel. Um, so it's something that you should consider looking into. Um, if you are on that discount rate and you want to participate and get an energy audit, um, those are done through our local CAP agency, your community action program, um, and they blend a lot of funding. Um, the the, the um, uh, WAP dollars, weatherization assistance program dollars, uh, Department of Energy dollars, um, are all kind of um, uh, run through the CAP agencies, and that's where they would provide um, all of these um, uh, opportunities. Uh, with your heating equipment as well, if that's aging or failing, um, they would even replace that at no cost at all. Um, so let's get into some of the exciting things, right? What, what people have, um, if, you're, if you're on the MassSave website uh, and you're, you're familiar with navigating that, there have been some recent additions. These uh, rebate forms are on the MassSave website. Um, so it's a great place to sort of be um, checking for as things change. 
Um, but these are some of the, the greatest incentives um, I've ever seen uh, for heat pumps. And it's something that people are very excited about. Um, the, the key here that to, to consider is, um, as, as, as Bob mentioned, um, there's an offer for a ground source heat pump. So something to consider um, and to be very cognizant of what uh, federal tax credits and also um, state tax credits you can combine with this incentive um, when you are looking for different, um, different heating opportunities. Um, there is uh, natural gas is is on the list that was up in the air for a little bit. It's um, it's in uh, it's in for the ten thousand dollars. It's in for the twelve fifty per ton. Um, a partial home rebate is when um, you're only going to um, add a heat pump to a part of your home, um, or you're not going to fully replace your uh, traditional um, fossil or electric resistance heating. Um, to be part of that whole home $10,000 incentive. Um, and if you aren't able to fully weatherize your home, you might end up defaulting to that um, $1,250 per ton, which is still a pretty um, significant uh, incentive, um, depending on the size of the, of the equipment that you're doing. Uh, a single head um, is typically right around um, three tons. Uh, so you can think about um, if you're getting quotes and you need multiple heads, um, you know, how many tons that is, and, and you can do the math on, on where that lands. It's the max of $10,000 per home though, um, just to be, to be clear there. Um, so whole home heat pump rebates, um, to qualify for whole home, um, you have to have an energy assessment. Uh, and the reason why, um, we're doing it like this, um, is because it does not make the most sense to put in a super efficient, uh, heat pump. Um, when your home is not fully weatherized and it's not working optimally. Um, it, uh, it's really the most beneficial thing that you can do is to, to sort of cross weatherization off of your list. And, and Bob made a great point about doing everything within reason. Um, I know that there's a lot of challenges around certain people's housing stock, um, construction style, um, existing conditions, um, and getting the energy assessment and sort of getting a baseline for what can and can't be insulated is one of those crucial steps. Um, so again, you, you get the audit, um, we, uh, we weatherize your home or we deem it fully weatherized, um, and then you'll move forward with your whole home heat pump insulation. Um, for the partial heat pump rebates, um, one of the things that they talk about requiring um, to take advantage of the a higher, that 1250, uh, is to um, use what are referred to as integrated controls. And what that basically means is um, your system, your, 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 um, your heat pumps should be used as in the shoulder seasons. Uh, they should be used um, when, it's, when you would traditionally be switching over to your fossil fuel system, your heat pump can actually run very efficiently um, for a significant period of time. And the cost slides that Bob was uh, highlighting where if, if it didn't get so cold, um, Bob slides would look even better. Heat pumps would look even better. Um, but when it drops down uh, beyond certain temperatures, um, the cost effectiveness of running your natural gas system may be, may be better. Um, and that is where you would wanna look into um, talking to your, your installer about um, use of integrated controls. Um, it is what affords you the opportunity for that higher incentive. Um, so again, they, they were uh, kind enough to do a big coming soon here. Um, we know this um, is going to have a lot of interest and it's really for going forward. You know, if you're, if you're considering insulating your home and you're interested in heat pumps, we want you to do these things in conjunction with each other. Um, and that's where uh, the bonus comes in. 
Um, you're going to be incurring a lot of costs, um, you know, making these changes. It's not even with all of these incentives, you're still there still is a, a layout from from you, the homeowner. Um, and this is designed to help you um, uh, make those choices happen at the same time. Um, so um, again, more with the rebates. So much has changed. Um, the enhanced rebates uh, amounts are um, are new for for this year. Uh, and they involve, um, you know, making sure that the home um, is is fully weatherized, um, or that you're falling into um, those uh, um, modern income incentives. Um, not participating, not making sure that your home is fully weatherized. There are still um, uh, standard rebates where you wouldn't need to have an energy assessment. Um, but um, again, to get the the higher incentives, um, getting that energy audit is uh, is 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 something that you need to do. Um, so for water heater, uh, again, there's um, additional incentives for, for just doing water heaters um, and we're pushing um, the, the, the days of doing a, a standalone sort of tank water heater um, are, are, are waning and you know, we're, we're pushing you to be doing um, things like heat pump water heaters, uh, things like condensing water heaters and tankless water heaters um, all still um, great technology above a standard um, uh, electric backed water heater um, uh, or, or the like. So those are the rebates for that. Um, we have product rebates. Um, so we have um, the $100 rebate for smart thermostats, whether the program installs one or not, um, you are able to purchase one out in the open market and apply for a rebate after the fact. Uh, or you can purchase one through um, the program administrator's online store, um, which you can get through through MassSave as well. Um, we do have the um, refrigerator recycling and the dehumidification, dehumidifier turn-in events that occur. Um, there's offers for um, window rebates and dehumidifiers as well, all, all um, accessible rebates that you can find on MassSave. Uh, com. And uh, a really exciting thing is the, the batteries. Um, battery powered lawn equipment uh, continues to come, uh, come along. Um, it's getting closer and closer. I know somebody who bought uh, an electric um, snowblower this, this winter and it's bigger than my gas snowblower. And it was one of the first things I wanted to know about um, was how it did uh, on some of those deeper days. Um, but there are rebates available now um, for, for things like a lawnmower of up to $75. Um, and at a you know four or five hundred dollars for a rebate for a lawnmower, um, seventy five dollars off is is pretty decent. Um, so that that's a new uh, new offer for twenty twenty two. I mentioned the heat loan at the top. We're doing okay. How am I doing on time? Should I should I speed it up here? Or, uh, yeah, because um, I, I I'd love to. We got a bunch of questions starting to pile up. So yep, yep. Uh, okay. Heat loans um, so we've got the heat loan again. It's zero uh, percent up to seven years. Um, and there's uh, a whole host of uh, things that you're eligible for uh, to take advantage of with the heat loan that I mentioned. And there we go. I was getting a little nervous here about running out of time. <laughs> cool. So, well, right. we'll, we'll, we'll hang around and, and answer all these questions. And if there are more questions, keep them coming or raise your hand and we'll call on you later. But there's one quick one I can knock off. Uh, are the slides available offline? Uh, the recording will be available. I'm not sure if, if we have permission to share the slides or not. Um, yeah, you have permission to share my slides. Okay, um, definitely have the heat pump slides. Yeah, we, we, can, we can confirm that. I think this deck has been circulated in other circles. So if that's the case, then good. I'm, I'm good with it. 
Good. That's an easy one then. Cool. Um, I'm going to just go from the top here. Um, you mentioned the tax incentives for heat pumps. Now, are those time limited or are there other limitations on uh, either the state or federal tax credits? So um, for the tax credits, I, I, my standard comment there is to consult your local tax professional. Um, so uh, we don't, um, we don't, we'll provide you with information. Um, we'll provide you with what has been done. Uh, if you want to give that to your tax preparation folks, um, I understand that, um, you know, that they do change. Um, they change with administrations and they change with, um, with offers. Um, but my understanding is right now they are all still intact. Um, and something that you should consider um, as part of the when you're when you're working through the costs. Go about um, a little further out and <laughs> to say in in 2022 the federal tax credit for a ground source heat pump is 26 percent of the installed cost. Yeah, that's scheduled to drop 22 percent in 2023. Of course, the government can change those at any time. Sure. Um, there is a small tax credit available as well, federal tax credit available as well for a heat pump water heater or an air source heat pump. It's a few hundred dollars um, as well. Well, speaking of ground source, are there any special considerations, things like proximity to your septic system or sort of general ground conditions that you should uh, think about? Short answer is yes. Um, certainly a septic system you want to avoid. Um, basically, a ground source heat pump requires uh, putting in boreholes, which are basically much like drilling wells for well water. Uh, you need a 40-foot well drilling rig to, to drive in, so you need a space something like 20 by 50 feet. And certainly you don't want that truck uh, drilling in your septic area. So your installer can look over, you know, uh, your situation and tell you what's feasible and what isn't. Um, but certainly uh, these boreholes can go in your driveway. It doesn't have to be out in your yard. There's a lot of places they can put them. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, on the cost slide where it showed um, that natural gas is slightly less expensive. Well, what happens if you have solar, if you have solar panels on your roof? Doesn't that make uh, the, the heat pump then uh, the least expensive option? It can be. Um, so again, I just updated these charts for the 2022 current Eversource rates. Um, solar panels are one way to get those costs down. Uh, Medfield is again looking at community choice aggregation. There's no guarantee that will get you a lower cost, but it might. Um, and there's certainly other alternative sources you can get for your electricity supply. Eversource will always be the delivery company for your electricity. They will always be the one sending you the bill. But you, right now you have a choice to purchase electricity from different sources if you choose. And even whoever, the Eversource website will let you look at that. But those, again, as I said earlier, those rates, Eversource rates could go down in six months or three months. You know, they, go, they, they change every six months. Uh, natural gas prices could, could go up further. We don't know. The other important point that came up um, 
if you have a hybrid system where you're heating with fossil fuels uh, at low temperatures and the heat pump at warmer temperatures, you could actually set that switchover point uh, to the point where it's you switch to the fossil fuel when that becomes cheaper. So what I didn't really point out is that the heat pumps operate more efficiently at warmer temperatures. So there will be some temperature at which your heat pump is more cost-effective than natural gas. But again, remember to weigh in the non-energy cost factors as well in your decision. Well, that, that actually leads us to our next question about uh, you know, how well air source heat pumps work when the outside temperature gets very cold. And Brian, you talked about sort of 15 to 30, but I know there are models that work down to zero and even below zero. So what, yeah. let, let's sort of unpack the complexities of that. It does vary quite a bit. It will depend uh, on your home. It'll depend on how the heat pump is sized relative to your home. Um, but some of the best performing air source heat pumps, as you mentioned, Jim, can, can actually operate and provide useful heating down to something like minus 10 or minus 13 degrees. Uh, it never gets that cold here. Um, that doesn't mean they'll provide enough heat to heat your home. You may still need some supplemental heat. I have a central ducted heat pump that's 10 years old now, and it operates down to about zero Fahrenheit, but it will not heat our home completely uh, by itself without the electric resistance backup. And I would say roughly that somewhere between 10 and 15 degrees Fahrenheit is when I need to have some resistance backup to supplement that. Um, but again, it depends a lot on how your heat pump is sized and, and how well insulated your home is. Well, that, uh, that really leads me nicely to our next question. And in fact, in um, the questions we asked people when they registered, there were a number of people who said they were going to come because they're at the point where they know they need to you know, replace or upgrade their heating equipment. And one of our anonymous attendees says, well, when you start that search and investigation, you know, who would you recommend contacting? Where do you, where do you start? Well, this is where, uh, <laughs> where it gets tough. Anytime you do something major with your home, you need to reach out to installers. Um, again, the HeatSmart Alliance can help as we have people available to go through your specific situation and see uh, you know, what we might recommend. But without, uh, aside from that, I would say if, um, if you have a furnace and you have ductwork in your home, I would certainly approach installers who offer not just the ductless variety of heat pump, but also offer the central duct dead heat pump, yep. just to make sure that they're not biased to try to sell you what they offer. You know, they offer both and they can hopefully give you an honest assessment of whether your ductwork can handle a central ducted heat pump or whether you should go with a ductless. Certainly uh, try to look into the reputation of installers. I think there's something to be said about using installers that are relatively close to where you live. Some installers will do jobs that are way off two hours from where they have their place of business. I think there is some benefit to getting someone who's a little closer if you can. Yeah. 
And I would just make a pitch for mass save as well as a non-biased place to also <laughs> try. Um, again, we're, we're not going to sell you a heat pump. Um, if we go there, we're going to provide you with information about insulating your home um, and identifying your existing equipment and, and present what the offers are for making those decisions. Um, Bob's abs absolutely right. Um, I'd, I'd encourage you to get at least three quotes um, from different installers who are going to provide different solutions. Um, it's a great point about being uh, close to home. Um, while these are um, are great pieces of technology, they also do require maintenance, um, and it is something that you're going to have to um, you know build a relationship on to make sure that they're working optimally. Um, so it's something to consider that you want you don't want them um, too far away um, if you need if you need them. Yeah. Uh, well, Brian, one of the things that I know is coming in the MassSave program is the heat pump installer network. That's right. And yeah. And can, can you tell us a little bit about you know, how that's developing? Sure. So um, for a number of years, MassSave has had a list of contractors. Uh, it's up on their website now. Um, but moreover, uh, the heat pump installer network will be an exclusive place where um, uh, contractors are registered um, and verified to be installing the latest and the most efficient equipment. Um, and understanding all the rules um, and guide guidance that MassSave is asking them to follow. Um, and they are building out that uh, HPIN, that heat pump installer network. Um, they're working on that this year and it should be up and running by 2023. Um, but there's a lot of great contractors that are on that list. Um, and for better or worse, the internet is an amazing place. Um, and uh, you can go on there and, and do some research and, and find some reputable companies. Um, and, and again, get, get multiple quotes, but they are building out that network as a, a, an additional layer of um, reassurance and um, access uh, to the rebates and incentives that MassSave provides. It's a great question. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned maintenance and there is a question that uh, just came in about, you know, what type of maintenance is there with a heat pump? And there was also a question about, well, what happens when it snows and is that a problem? Sure, and, and Bob might be a better person, but there's there's those those racks that you saw in your in your pictures, Jim. Um, getting them up off the ground is really um, the key to their success. Um, they need air, um, so if snow were to kind of pile up, or 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 um, you know, if you know you've got a corner in your your house that always has a big drift, probably not the best place to consider a heat pump. But that's why they want it up in the air. But Bob Bob knows knows more than I do. Yeah. So. Um... So just in general regarding maintenance and, and heat pumps, um, you know, you need maintenance on heating equipment anyway. And it's certainly no more expensive for heat pumps and it may be less expensive on average compared to fossil fuel equipment. And the big advantage is, is there's not really a safety issue, you know, with uh, heat pumps, you might, if something's not right, your, your performance might fall off, but you're not risking you know, safety if, uh, if there's a problem where you might be with a furnace or boiler. Um, yeah, you know, uh, the ductless mini splits um, tend to have an advantage relative to snow and ice because the air flows horizontally through the unit. Well, many of the current central ducted, not all of them, many of the current central ducted systems bring the air in through the sides of the outdoor unit and blow it out the top. Now, in our 10 years, I've had exactly two occasions where the top of the outdoor unit iced over and blocked the airflow. 
both of those times happened last year, last winter, just when there was some freezing rain or something, just the right temperature and it made a sheet of ice. Again, um, you know, it wasn't a problem. The backup heating system came in and uh, we were fine. So it's rare, but it can happen. And um, uh, if you have, for, we have a wood burning stove, if we use that, and the heat pump is not running for hours at a time. Sometimes snow will build up on the fan blades in the outdoor unit, and there isn't enough torque for that fan to start, so I have to kind of knock the snow off of it. These are minor things for me. If you don't have uh, a wood-burning stove, I, I don't know if that would ever even happen. Yep. And then the, the heads themselves, um, there's just cl cleaning, general, general cleaning. Um, there is a, there is a condensate line. Um, there is moisture that's having to um, exhaust itself from the system, um, and you want to make sure that that is clean. You know any type of of, of moisture that can kind of build up, um, and the filters, cleaning the filters and things like that. Um, general quick quick maintenance. Very easy you... to do with a vacuum cleaner once every few months for the ductless systems. For the duct dead systems, you're going to have uh, a filter just like you have in your furnace. You have to replace or clean once in a while. Exactly, exactly. Well, here's my favorite question. If no one else had asked it, I was going to ask it. So how can you tell whether your heating system is near to failing other than just its age? Because, you know, we all want to say, hey, it's, it's working fine. Why should I rush to replace it? Can't I just wait a little longer? You know, maybe, maybe next year I'll have a little extra money to do this, but so, uh, the short answer is, I don't know how you tell. Um, certainly when you're doing your annual maintenance, you will probably should ask and see what kind of answer you get. Um, but my understanding is that it can be very difficult to tell until something fails and then you've got a problem. Um, but at least if you're having your fossil fuel equipment inspected annually, hopefully they could give you some sense of uh, impending issues. Um, and the same with your air conditioners. I know a lot of people, frankly, ignore maintenance on their air conditioners. And, you know, that's an issue. But, uh, um, yeah. That's rust is a good indicator. How, how rusty is it? Yeah, how rusty. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got a funny, funny story along those lines. Because my neighbor and I, uh, you know, the, the houses that we lived in were built in the mid-90s. They were built on spec. You know, we moved in within a couple of weeks of each other. Um, you know, my, you know, it's a, it's an oil boiler. Uh, my, it's been maintained by like the same company. We get our oil from the same company and there's just developed a major leak and they basically, they had finished their basement. So they had to basically gut their basement and, you know, remediate all of uh, all of that mine's still going knock on wood but i'm obviously that tells me i'm on borrowed time and i need to uh to uh get thinking real seriously about that but it is one of those things i've seen i've seen systems um you know that are dead in 10 years and i've seen systems that go 30 even 40 years but and it, it's hard to tell you. you know that the the 90s were were um you know a lot of stuff still looks like it, it pretty good from the 90s um but that's that's 25 that's 30 years old at this point um so it is it is hard to tell with um the equipment doesn't look old anymore um it, it all still looks pretty modern and um some of the fittings and the fixtures 
um, where you can begin to see some sort of staining or dripping um, signs of fatigue um, would be sort of things to ask your installer about. Um, and then, and then sort of, a, a, a hopefully you just want to, you want to time it right. Right. Yeah. Oh, here, here's another case. How about you've got central air conditioning. So you've got the duct works, you've got all that sort of stuff. Can you drop any heat pump in place of a air conditioning only compressor? The duct sizing was the, is the, the um, primary concern, but go ahead. Bob. I think it depends. And certainly you want to have a professional installer make that determination. I would say there's a good chance you don't have to make any significant modifications to your duct work, but I, I, I would caution that um, you'll probably end up replacing both the indoor components and the outdoor components of the system. It's very unlikely that you'll be able to uh, preserve uh, you know the indoor unit, for example, from your old air conditioner, and just won't operate. Won't be compat. Won't be compatible with the new heat pump and the blower that you need to use. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that in your slide, that picture of the full um, heat pump with electric resistance would need to be that that indoor unit would have to be replaced with that plus the um, the picture of your outdoor unit, um, Jim. Here's a really interesting question. I really like this one. So does a hybrid water heater extract the heat from the basement where the, if the water heater is located down there? And if yes, how much colder does it make the basement? And wouldn't that make the floors of the first floor colder? And so, you know, how does that affect, you know, the cost compared to a natural gas hot water heater? Yeah, I can always tell when there's another engineer in the audience and they ask questions <laughs> like that. It's a, it's a, it's a question I love. Um, because I think intuitively, uh, our intuition can lead us astray on this question, actually. Um, so yes, most, not all, but most heat pump water heaters are a packaged unit. And wherever your water heater is, you'll be extracting some heat from that space. So most of the time, it's in an unfinished basement. Um, a lot of us don't really care if the basement's a little bit cooler. It will be a little cooler. It might also be a little drier, by the way. So that's a nice upside. It doesn't necessarily do all the dehumidification you might need, but it might supplement your dehumidification needs. Um, but yes, it will make, make your basement a little smaller. We have a very small basement. It's about 450 square feet. Um, I would guess that it's probably five degrees cooler with our heat pump water heater. I don't actually measure it and I don't really care. Now the impact that has on your home heating, though, that's the question. It turns out, and I've been through this analysis, it turns out it's not as bad as you might think. Uh, it does shave some of the effective efficiency off of your um, heat pump water heater, but it's not bad. And when I said 60% savings or 70% savings, that accounts for the impact it has on your space heating load. So um, there's exceptions if you're using electric resistance baseboard for heat, if you have your water heater upstairs in the fully conditioned space, you know, it's a little bit more of an impact, but you know, uh, it's generally not as bad as people uh, intuitively think. And actually I just saw a study uh, on that very topic. And I think it's very close to what you said. It might be 
somewhere between three and five degrees. Um, but when the when the uh, heat pump water heater shuts off, you know it actually recovers, you know, pretty pretty quickly. And if you're, point, you know, if Kim, you, gotta, if you, I've if you still have study. a, <laughs> I'll, I'll have to get that to you. But if you still have a, a fossil fuel heating appliance down there, like while well, I still have my oil boiler down there, that would be awesome, because it would just pick up some of the waste heat from that. But. Uh, um, that's what we're Let's trying see. to get rid of is the fossil fuels. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let me see if there's anything else here. Well, there's there's one question that I'm I don't know. I don't know if there's an answer to this. What is a typical full house heat pump cost? Is there any such thing? Where from five thousand to five fifty thousand. How is yeah. that? Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm not being uh, uh, deliberately glib here. I it does depend a lot on your house. If you have a, I, uh, friends and I rented a house in Northern Vermont, much colder than we are. It was an energy efficient home. It was probably 1800 square feet and was heated with one mini split, ductless mini split heat pump. Okay. And that would probably run you about five grand. Now, on the flip side, I live in Carlisle. We have a lot of big homes, four or 5,000 square feet that are very complex, built decades ago, not super energy efficient. They get a proposal where they're going to put an indoor head in every room. They're going to have four or five, three or four outdoor units or something like that. They can see quotes that are 40 to 50,000 before the incentives. Yeah. It really depends. The central ducted systems, probably somewhere in the middle. Um, if you have a single zone, you might get away with something in the 15 to 20,000 range. But again, take a look at what it would cost to put in a high efficiency boiler or furnace, plus a high end air conditioner that would give you the same comfort benefits of a heat pump. And you might be shocked to see how much that would cost. So <laughs> it's not, uh, you wanna look at the difference between the two. Yeah, one of the sort of the rules of thumb or something something that I'm hearing um, is, and Bob could probably correct me or, or thumbs up or thumbs down, is some of the averages we're seeing is $5,000 per ton. So I don't, I don't know if you feel like that's high or low, Bob, or... Yeah, it's hard to say. I think it, it's, it's not just the total uh, capacity, but it's also the complexity. How many different rooms are you trying to heat independently and how many... Um, you know, where do they have to run the refrigerant lines and things like that? Do you have sure. to upgrade the electrical panel? Yep. Yeah. Quite specific issues there. Yeah. A lot of well, this actually This actually relates to a question that just came in that said, well, if you need a backup system, um, then aren't you running and maintaining two systems and thus reducing the cost benefit of installing a heat pump, which, you know, as you were saying, does both. Well, you don't necessarily need a backup system. Many homes uh, operate with just a heat pump. The issue is typically to do that, you need to have either a fairly new home or you have to do a good job on your weatherization. Otherwise, it becomes a little impractical. Uh, second, I'll differentiate on backup systems. Uh, we have electric resistance, as I mentioned. If you do um, have duct work, that's easy to do. Um, and that's really low maintenance. There's really no additional issues. It's really inexpensive to put in. Uh, if you're using a fossil fuel system for backup, 
yes, you're going to have to keep that maintained. You're going to have to um, you know, keep two heating systems operating effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brian, here's a question for you. So okay. does the homeowner apply for the heat pump rebate or does that come through the uh, seller and installer? That's a, a great question. Um, the installer should help you um, with the process. You can do both. You can typically um, sign it over or the installer might um, factor it into their uh, purchase price or depending on their comfort level and their involvement, they might say, you know, I'll help you fill out their portion of it. Um, and you yourself, homeowner, can um, can apply for the equipment itself. So it's a conversation that you should have with your installer and different installers might have different approaches to it. Uh, typically, the application for the heat loan uh, is done by the homeowner themselves. Um, so you're you're getting a little um, you're getting involved um, with helping uh, set up some of the paperwork. Um, if you're just taking access to the rebates themselves, Oftentimes, the installers do um, help facilitate that, and you might just have to sign uh, sign a piece of paper. Got it. Got it. And I think there's like one last question here, and this is a really good one. This is a person who in, has installed a whole house heat pump system. Congratulations, that's great. Um, but was asking for your advice. What are the best practices then in operating it? Um, uh, uh, yeah, like we're used to with fossil fuel systems, you turn them down at night you know, or, or when you're away from home during the day at work, you know, and then have them heat back up. Do you do that or do you do you do something different with a heat pump? Well, the, the general advice with a heat pump is it's better to set the thermostat and leave it in whatever setting you want. Um, if you, because if you turn it down at night, it actually uses more energy than it saves to warm back up in the morning. And that's one uh, one uh, issue with heat pumps that people need to get used to. Some people just like their bedroom cooler, which is fine. Just leave your bedroom cooler all the time. You're not going to be in your bedroom typically during waking hours, so it doesn't matter. And that's pretty easy to do if you have a ductless system. If you have ducted system and you you don't have zone control in your bedroom, you can still just shut off the uh, registers there and, and keep most of the heat out of your bedroom that way. So simple solution uh, to that issue. But that's the, that's the main advice is, is uh, don't set down the temperature of the whole home overnight. Certainly if you're going to take a ski vacation in the wintertime and be away for several days, yes, turn it down. You can set the thermostat to come up in advance of your return so your house is warm and all that. If I could chime in, uh, so I just had this discussion recently with an installer, and um, this was a system also with resistance heat backup. And uh, he said, anytime the, the difference between the room temperature and what you set it at is more than three degrees, then automatically the resistance heat will come in. And of course, you want to kind of avoid this because it becomes really expensive. So gradually warming it up, or as you said, leaving it at a, at a constant temperature is really what you want to do. The controls on uh, the heat pumps will vary from manufacturer to manufacturer, but that doesn't surprise me. Um, yeah, you, if you, it is better to ramp up in a controlled way uh, gradually. When, when you do have a yeah. setback. 
Yeah, because I, I think to me, the big difference between these systems and traditional systems, Bob, you alluded to it before, is that they maintain this very constant temperature. And they do that by um, you know, having variable speed in the compressor. So on a on day like today, when it was 40-ish out, it doesn't need a whole lot of heat, so it'll run at a very low speed. Versus a traditional furnace or boiler, you know, it'll, again, the temperature, as you showed, it'll drop if you're trying to keep your house at 68. You know, it may wait till the house drops to like 66. And then it comes on full blast and blasts a bunch of heat into the room until it gets up to, you know, maybe 70. And then it turns off and you get that back and forth. But again, these systems are able to say, oh, I just need a little bit of heat. So I'll run it like 20 or 30 percent of capacity because that's all I need right now. Um, and so that's why if you just leave it set at the temperature you want, it, it is much more efficient. Yeah. Um, Brian, another one just came in for you. This is great, people. I love that we're still getting these questions. Thank you for being so engaged. Um, um, all right, I just lost it. I gotta scroll back down to it here. This is, um, so if you've had a mass save audit and had some weatherization done in the last two years, can you get another audit or do you have to wait or, or how, how should this person handle it? Yeah, so if, if there's, you would recognize if there were still opportunities. So if you're considering um, uh, installing a heat pump um, and your home has been deemed fully weatherized, um, that is what opens you up the opportunity to those enhanced incentives. So depending on your proposal, um, if all of the work was done, if a good portion of the work was already completed through, through the weatherization process, um, you should be um, effectively complete um, as far as what's been fully weatherized. Um, every, every three years, you can go ahead and get another incentive, excuse me, assessment. Um, but if there were sort of existing things on your proposal that you didn't complete at the time, uh, if you had a very large project and you wanted to break it up over multiple years, um, they could sort of re-engage with, um, with your energy assessor and look over and see if we can't send you an updated proposal. Um, or, um, you know, if you really need somebody to come back out there um, and the timing is right, we, we would come back out and, and take a look to see if there were additional opportunities. But um, it all is contingent on how much of the work you actually did at that time. Um, I'm not seeing any other questions come in. I'm just scrolling through. Do we have any hands up anywhere? I hope we covered Bob's question. I apologize to Bob earlier and the, the oh. other Bob, Bob who raised his hand during my. Yeah, I unmuted muted him, but then he left before. Um, oh, okay. You stopped. So I do have a question. So if you get an audit, but there's no work to be done, do you qualify for anything? Yeah. So the, again, we're, we're kind of working through all these really um, sort of narrow questions about that. Um, but if your home is, is fully weatherized, then yes, it, it does qualify. Um, so it's, it's all determining, you know, whether or not it's, and, and if it's a newer construction um, or it's a, a well-built home, but again, um, you know, that those, those the, it would, yep, it would. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, define newer construction for us too. Okay. Because, as I said, um, my, my home was built in the 90s 
And I've had I don't think couple, that's new construction. Well, but I've had a couple of mass save audits and, you know, they've done a little bit here and there, but, you know, nothing, nothing really all that big. Yeah. So, um, and, and if you had a well-built home in the nineties, you know, what, uh, what code was at the time. So, um, do you know how the R value of the insulation in your attic? Probably do. The yeah, R well, I, actually, I actually spray phoned my attic a few years oh, ago. Okay. But before, but um, before that, it was probably R18, R20 okay. maybe. So if you have, if you've got R20 in your attic right now, Mass Save will, um, will bring that up to R49. Um, so, you know, a, a new construction, uh, I'm, I'm thinking new building code, um, they have what's called I, IECC, the International Energy Code. Um, and I think we're, Massachusetts is generally a few years behind the iterations of that energy efficient code. Um, so, you know, something that was built in 2017, 18, 19, um, that's probably a, a pretty super efficient home. Um, it should be. Um, but something in the 90s, if it does have, um, you know, just a few layers of, of bat insulation, there's an opportunity to, to add insulation to a house like that. Except for yours, because well, you've got a hot roof. So you're way ahead of the game. <laughs> exactly. Well, but speaking of the energy codes, because it wasn't really until the 80s when building codes started incorporating energy codes. Am I right about that? So yeah, and there's um, we've we've got sort of some charts and some research about how there's correlations of when codes change um, because um, just because code is code doesn't mean that the house is built to code. Um, so the the actual construction lags um, and Massachusetts uses what's called a user defined reference home. Um, so they develop a baseline which actually. Um, isn't necessarily building code. It's, it's typically slightly lower than that because um, it takes several years for the trades to sort of catch up with all uh, of the new techniques and, and um, approaches to it. Um, but at the end of the day, um, an efficient home is a well-built home um, where attention and care is taken to um, inf infiltration and exfiltration to, to where how air moves and just how insulated um, the spaces are. You can use traditional materials. Um, you can use traditional building techniques. Um, it's just taking care uh, of where some of those big, um, you know, energy losses can uh, can exist. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's pretty safe to to say if your home was built in say the '70s or early '80s or before, chance and it hasn't had any major work done to it. Chances are pretty darn good. There's a lot of opportunity for improving the efficiency of that home. Yeah, I mean, one of the big things, um, you know, I, our, our place here is built in 1968. Um, it's got two by four construction and it has bat insulation. It probably has an R13 in the walls. Um, and I know that, you know, they might be able to get a, a hose up there. We might be able to insulate it, but it's the cost effectiveness of it and the challenges um, sometimes aren't there. Um, so there's some some variability around you know wall insulation, but um, an attic in, in a house of this construction that that does just have a you know a, a layer of fiberglass up there, there's definitely opportunity. Um, and then we focus a lot of attention on the the sill, the basement sill, um, and where we get a lot of air infiltration as well. And typically that's an exposed area that we can um, take some attention to. Um, door kits, door sweeps, um, traditional things around the doors. Um, knee wall spaces um, and attics, air sealing, uh, plumbing chases, plumbing gaps uh, around a chimney chase. Some of the big, um, the big places we want to kind of tackle that 
um, dam around certain areas. Um, something else to consider is if you are um, looking at installing, if you have no mechanical equipment in your attic and you are looking at putting in one of those central heat pumps, um, let's coordinate that with your installer. They are not going to want um, to start swimming through a brand new sea of cellulose. Um, the price is going to go up um, if that's the case. Um, so we might want to try and time it where um, the unit is going in and then you're insulating that space. Um, but if you have existing equipment up there, um, what we tr traditionally do is dam and create a catwalk and a space around it. Um, and then the far corners of your attic and, um, and, and the like are, are, uh, are have a, a higher depth of insulation. Right. Actually, that question came in about, I guess, sort of defining in a little more detail, what is weatherization? Does that mean a new roof and attic insulation, windows and doors? How, how much goes into weather, weatherization? Yeah, so that's a that's a really tough question um, that we're trying to work through um, a simple answer um, that we can, uh, you know, check a box and, and have somebody feel like they're fully weatherized. Um, but it's, you know, weatherization for a lot of people's homes is a, is a journey. Um, so we you want to make sure that the attic is fully insulated, um, that any basement uh, crawl spaces, any sort of dirt foundations, um, have a poly vapor barrier down and air sealing has been done um, in, a, in a crawl space type of area um, and that your walls have insulation, um, that they're not uh, empty cavities, um, that, you know, but if it has a, an R13 bat in it and the auditor says they can't get any more, um, then your walls are weatherized, your walls are insulated. Um, there's certainly more that can be done, um, but we want to do this, you know, as, as Bob commented, within reason. Um, so there, there is a fine line, but you also um, don't want to get to a point where you're so focused on putting in the heat pumps that you're um, disregarding um, taking steps that you know that you can. Um, but if you have certain challenges and certain spaces, um, you're going to have to sort of balance that compromise. Um, but we do want to, um, you know, focus the biggest bang for your buck is definitely the attic work. Um, it's why we all put on a winter hat. Um, you know, you, you lose a lot of heat through your head. You lose a lot of heat through your attic. Um, and that's some some of the areas that we would want to focus on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe I'll. This wasn't asked, but I'll ask the question. So similar question about air sealing. Can you describe sure. more what goes into air sealing? Sure. Um, so using the same um, sort of body analogy, um, I consider a nice wool sweater as insulation, and I think of air sealing as your windbreaker, as your 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 jacket that goes on your exterior. Um, so a lot of times they'll use um, what's referred to as two-part foam, um, or if you've been to your big box store and you see the great stuff, the can of um, spray expanding foam, um, air sealing is chasing down um, uh, air gaps, air leakage in your home. Um, we run uh, what's referred to as a blower door test, unless you have um, asbestos pipes um, or existing you know, evidence of, of past uh, asbestos, they won't run a blower door. Um, but we get a baseline for the number of air changes per hour um, that uh, a home is supposed to have. Um, and there's a level of air changes per hour that you can drop down to a safe level. Um, and as you can imagine, um, if air is moving through, you're losing that heat. Um, the temperature is, is those swings um, that your heat pump has to uh, keep up with are are mitigated through through air sealing so there's not a lot done around a window itself um, you want to make sure that the window is is well installed um, and and properly sealed around that um, but then you know door 
door um, door sweeps, um, the plumbing chases that I mentioned, chimney chases, and around the basement sill perimeter. And all of these small holes um, add up. Um, so sometimes the equivalent of the air sealing is the, um, you might have uh, the equivalent of a, a window open uh, in your house um, for the thousands of small air leaks. And, and closing that window is, is the act of, um, of taking a few hours of time to do the air sealing at the house. And it's free. Um, that's all done yeah. at, at no cost. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think this will be the final question because we've been going for a long time and really appreciate you hanging in with us because it, it's been great to, to get all these questions and have so much uh, conversation here. But any, anyway, uh, windows, back to windows. Uh, any rebates to upgrade from double pane to triple pane, or is it just replacing single pane as you were describing with the triple? Pane? Yeah, the way I understand it, it's it's single to triple, um, and that there are not current incentives for the double to triple. Um, again, it's um, it's a it's a it's a it's a val it's a benefit cost um, that the the program generally runs. Um, and the, the savings from the energy savings from double to triple is probably good. Um, and I, you know, I'd, I'd love to do that too. Um, and if you could, I would highly encourage you to do it. Um, but the, the, they, they don't have the, the, um, a rebate for it at this point. Um, if you're really ready to go, um, all in, if you're coming out of single pane windows and you're going to, to triple. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I'll give each of you uh, a last word and then I'll have a couple of closing comments. Or Brian, anything uh, else you'd like to share with us as we close sure. up? Sure. Um, so the mass save number is easy to remember. Uh, it's 866-527-SAVE or 7283. Uh, you can find us online at Mass Save. Uh, you can Google us. Um, and uh, my email was on the end of the presentation and I'm around. I'm a, um, I love this stuff. Uh, and if uh, I don't have an answer for you, we can put you in the right, uh, hopefully in the right place. So feel free to, to, to reach out. Great. Bob. Yeah, I just want to thank everyone for uh, coming tonight and remind you that the Heat Smart Alliance website, heatsmartalliance.org, has quite a bit of additional information. And you can reach out to us and ask questions. And um, as I mentioned, we're an all-volunteer organization. We're always looking for more people who are interested in heat pumps and interested in fighting climate change. So feel free to reach out to us there as well. I'm always happy to talk with people and answer questions about what we do. And um, yeah, so that's it. Thank you, everyone. Super, Bob, thank you. It was super information, Brian, it was super, uh, to hear about the new things going on at Mass Save gives us all a lot to chew on and obviously a lot of support for the things that we need to do uh, to fight, fight climate change. Um, and with that, I want to thank my support group, uh, Hilly Passas and Helen Dewey, who helped organize uh, this, this presentation, as well as our colleagues I mentioned uh, up front, the Medfield Environment Action and Sustainable Medfield Organizations. So for all of you, uh, there is a lot of support uh, in town here for any of your questions. You can reach out to any of those organizations and the Medfield Energy Committee. Um, and uh, really uh, looking to get Medfield on this path toward 
the 50% carbon reduction 2030 and net zero 2050. That as you saw, we all need to play our parts and you've had a, made a good start by coming tonight and spending time with us. So thank you again, uh, good night and uh, good luck uh, becoming more energy efficient and lower carbon. <laughs>